Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who really enjoys hanging out with his pocket eyeball. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass. And, uh, I actually keep a lot of eyeballs in my pocket. Uh, Do you have a special case for each one, or is there some sort of, or is it more like a no, like just one of those like Nintendo no. cartridge holder things where it's a big pack of them in like one big no, case? No, no, no. All of all just of mine eyeballs. are just loose. Just oh, loose man. eyeballs in my pocket. They gotta be so uh, covered in lint, though, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I throw the message distraction into into the faces of my enemies. Oh, so it's like it's like pocket sand, but eyeballs. Yeah, I bet that. Yeah, works. but it's all eyeballs. It's, I have a question. Do you think eyeballs get sticky as they as they degrade? I, I feel like uh, they would, right? I think they would have to, right? Uh, well, I mean, as they desiccate, they would. You'd I don't know what eyeballs do when they, like, obviously they I do actually, fall apart. I understand that they degrade extremely quickly, is my understanding. I, what I'm coming to existential terms with right now is that I don't know what eyeballs are made out of. Goop. Uh, <laughs> Balloon, they're goop-filled balloons, basically, is my oh, understanding. Oh, man. I don't like that. They're squishy. They're, they're, <laughs> eyeballs are squishy. That That I do know. But I, what I'm curious about is like that mucusy stuff that we that we use is like the, our eyes have is like lubrication, right? Like they're constantly. Yeah. I don't think it's just tears. I think it's more viscous than that, right? I just sure. imagine that when you take them out of your pocket, after some amount of t- out of your out of you take them out of your eye ball socket, yeah. and you've got them in your hand at some point ever some amount of time, I feel like they would turn like sticky. Yeah, probably. But maybe that's just because everything that everyone's ever told me are eyeballs at Halloween was just some sort of sticky yeah. candy. Right, right, right. I, yeah, I mean, do do uh, do grapes that have had their skin surgically removed turn sticky? One would have to assume. I I have never interacted with one that had hung out that long because that seems like it would not taste very good. No, no, no. You just you get rid of those pretty quick. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, are you suggesting that my pocket eyeballs aren't coming out of my pocket? Well, I was more suggesting that when you take them out, either they're stuck together, just one big. It's one just a big massive. It's like a, it's like one of those rat kings, but of eyeballs, and then <laughs> and or they're just covered in whatever shits in your pockets, right? There's yeah. like some sand on them, some like pocket lint, maybe like a receipt for like a convenience store or something, just all stuck to this eyeball that you're throwing. Yeah. Uh, Chocolate bits and loose sugar, mostly. <laughs> you, so. Okay, good. To, I'm glad to know what's in your pocket. Mm. It's entirely bread comes for crumbs for feeding pigeons. No, today it's a, a free. <laughs> today it's a free <laughs> meal for not wanting to shave. So. <laughs> at a restaurant, you probably don't really want to hang out. At. Absolutely, absolutely, did not want to work there. Before we get started on the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Oh, bonus content, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all know what that means. 
Well, what it means is that every month we do a non-criterion film. We let our supporters vote on what movie we're going to watch based on a list that usually I put together, but also take suggestions from the supporters on lists put together. And usually if a supporter has suggested a movie, we'll, uh, we'll invite them, if we can, to watch it with us. And it's fun to talk with them about a movie they love. And it's fun to just watch things that aren't in the Criterion Collection. Though we, we often have ended up watching something that's pretty Criterion adjacent. Sometimes it's a really bad movie. Sometimes it's a movie that's just kind of dumb. Sometimes it's a movie that's shocking that it's not in the Criterion Collection, right. frankly. But sometimes it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, And that's true of a couple of the Eclipse movies we watched. Like most right, recently, yeah, as yeah. of this recording, we watched uh, Ozu's Tokyo Twilight with a couple of guests. And that, you know, that probably will be in the Criterion Collection by the end of this year. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I don't fully comprehend the relationship between the Eclipse Collection and the Criterion Collection, yeah. I, if I'm being honest. Uh, I, think I, I don't know that it, I, I'm going to assume that nobody does. The general rule of thumb now, at least, and this hasn't always been true because we've seen plenty, plenty of uh, films actually in the Criterion Collection that, that should be Eclipse as far as this definition goes. And that's that normally the Eclipse is for a movie where they can get a decent enough transfer to release, but no, it's not like it's not been revitalized or oh, okay. they don't have any, they don't have any bonus features for it. Yeah. Uh, as if that's a, as if that's yeah. a deal breaker for the criteria. Right, right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, no, it more or less thinking. is now a days, yeah. right. You know, like I said, we've watched Criterion films that didn't have bonus features, but I think that's probably the general the general distinction now. Uh, anyway, our two guests who were on that, who are both Patreon supporters, and we're very grateful to them. We'll thank them in a moment, but uh, they have both joked that it's probably on the docket to be uh, to be yeah, released and get a Criterion like upgrade. But we've also done a couple of films over there. Well. Yeah, one film over there that was later added to the Criterion Collection that we really didn't expect to be, and that was Failsafe. Uh, and we watched some other movies that are, uh, aren't are in the Eclipse, aren't in the Criterion Collection, aren't even necessarily widely available outside of those, but uh, we're still pretty good movies that maybe the Criterion Collection should put out. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun. Like I said, that's just $1 a month that gets you access to that vote, that bonus episode, and all of the past bonus episodes. And there's over uh, over 60 over there, too. So a lot of, a lot of great content. So much bonus you could listen to. Yeah, You, you could can. just stop listening to this podcast and just go listen to that. If you wanted. Uh, I mean, you do what you want, you know? Yeah. A little above that, uh, at the $5 mark, for folks who really, you know, most of our Patreon supporters have verbally said they don't care about whatever the bonus stuff is. They just want to make sure that we continue on the Sisyphean task. So for folks who uh, can afford to help us a little bit more, uh, that $5 mark is for them. And what it gets them is thanked on air. So thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Andrew Jarrett, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, and Stephen Goldmeyer. Yes, thank you. Next tier above that, we do something pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, once a month. And I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note and send it off. So if you like bespoke art, you like bespoke postcards, you like uh, if you like Pat hanging out by messages. a CRTV in the middle of the night like a weird gremlin with all the lights <laughs> off. He's been doing a lot of a lot of visual circuit bending, and they are very neat. I gotta admit, uh, if you like that sort of thing, or if you just want to really you know go that extra mile to help keep us going, greatly appreciative of all that. 
and we like to thank those people on air as well. Thank you so much to our $10 supporters, Jason Westhaver and Adam Speakerman, who were the guests on the aforementioned bonus episode. And also thank you to our other $10 supporters, Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, and Tracy McGrath. Yes, thank you, everybody. If you want to check out those postcards without committing to that $10 mark, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there, and you can buy uh, past postcards as greeting cards, as postcards, as stickers, some as buttons, one as a T-shirt, and pretty much, you know, if you know that Redbubble offers a product and you like one of one of these postcard images on that product, we could probably make it happen. It's getting easier because now yeah. that I know somebody might do it, I've been making sure that the things that I make generally are much higher, like bigger, just to High start. enough quality to yeah. work at work. Yeah. I never really yeah. thought about it before. And then like, one, and then yeah. I was like, oh, man, I should probably make it so that I don't have to do extra I mean, work later if somehow that moving, happens. Moving forward, if Pat keeps this up, shower curtain might just be a standard offering. So. I mean, I, I would really like to make a shower curtain, uh, <laughs> so especially some of the weirder ones. Like yeah. this month, prime shower curtain material. I like to. You know, I if like you never want anybody to come over to your house ever again. <laughs> but yeah, thank you to everyone who has uh, supported us on Patreon, everyone who has purchased anything from our Redbubble, and thank you to you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. Pat, this week we are back to the Bergman well. It's been a while since we watched a Bergman. Yeah, it has, man. I, I don't. When was the last Bergman movie we watched? Our last, uh, our last Bergman adjacent thing. Was spine number four seventy seven with that documentary Bergman Island that doesn't count that he featured in so doesn't um, count and then our last actual Bergman film was Sawdust and Tinsel way back at four twelve so it has been over I think just over two years yeah we do we about fifty a year yeah. right so yeah yeah so a little over two years since we've seen a Bergman film. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty long time considering considering how Bergman heavy the Criterion Collection is as a whole. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, I mean, I I always enjoy a Bergman film. I they've grown on me over time. Like, per, you know, I didn't hate them at the beginning, but I've I've gotten now they feel like a warm blanket. Yeah. So this one is 1958's The Magician, uh, and we can we can end into a conversation here because. It's come up before. Criterion's conventions on when to translate a name and when not to translate a name right. are, are always unclear. So this movie was like released Bergman in the U.S. broadly gets translated, right? Almost all the yes. Bergmans use the English title yes. in my memory. Yeah, I don't think... I can't think of a single Bergman film that wasn't translated. I assume it's just that they don't trust to say, to say Swedish words. French maybe, words, yes. Maybe. Swedish words, no. To be fair, I don't trust us. No, to say. no, I wouldn't even attempt it. That seems like a suicide mission. Yeah. Let's cycle back. Uh, okay. Well, Fanny and Alexander is a pretty easy one to translate. So, <laughs> while we got, while we didn't get a trans, or we got that in translation in the title, the actual Bergman title is. Fanny und Alexander, I think so. Right, right, right. But uh, I mean, like, yeah. we've, we've, yeah, I, we I don't never, think I've ever seen it with the, with the Swedish title. We have never had a Bergman film with a Swedish title. I, it really, I, I would, I really wonder what, like, it's got to just be dependent on, like, who's in charge that week. <laughs> it seems like it. And this was, this wasn't just an English translation of Bergman's title for the No. Film. This was, this was the original title under which, the movie was released in English. 
uh, which is different. Uh, the Swedish film, uh, or the Swedish version, is called uh, Anskitet, which translates to The Face. Uh, obviously, very clear reference to our yeah, main I mean, character's masking yes. of... And, no, and well, everybody, lots of people almost everybody in the movie, <laughs> right, basically. Yeah. In some, some way or another. Or another yeah. Whereas here we have the magician, which is uh, you know a much more overt reference to our main character. I would say that, like, honestly speaking... It's interesting because like the faces or faces is they both like struggle from the same perspective of like, well, I don't until you walk in, you really don't know what that means regarding like what this movie is about. But like, yeah, I would if I encountered a movie just called The Face, I would probably assume a horror movie. Yeah. And this certainly this is kind of a horror movie. Eh, it makes of, reference yes. to horror tro- tropes. Yeah, it, right? it does. I mean, you even when you're watching the movie, you never, you can never be totally like assured that it's not going to just turn into a horror movie. Right, right, right. Or if, if not mean, a horror, like a thriller, where they're like now yeah. suddenly like, you know, it just there's, feels like it could. Right. There's a bit in the last act. Uh, the climax of the movie is pretty straightforward horror movie, except that we know what's going on. Right, so right, it's exactly. It's 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 right. kind of yeah. It's a thrill. It's like. It's a thriller if you, yeah, it's like any of those classic, like, sort of, like, locked in a room with a killer thriller type things, but yeah. if you were viewing it from the thriller, the killer's perspective, so you know what's right. going on. It is apparently very, very loosely based on a distant memory of G.K. Chesterton's play, Magic, uh, which Bergman remembered liking. Uh, <laughs> okay, nice. I, I don't know Magic, uh, so I don't know how much might be borrowed. Uh, but uh, given given the description of that relationship, I'm gonna say probably not that much. Well, <laughs> but yeah, but also though, like this, as far as the plot is concerned, there's nothing particularly super innovative about this kind of story, right? No, no, no. Except for the fact of like who the perspective characters are, really. Like a lot of times, the like the weird sort of like charlatan comes to town, sort of. Um, Stories tend to focus more on the town than they do on right. the charlatan as the main character. Like, is really only the major difference here. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm not saying this is a bad. It's bad for this, no, but like, no, no. That's, this is a trope. He's playing with it like extensively, yeah. but it is still a trope, right? Right, and that's that's one thing that makes it very interesting is that uh, it is the reverse of that because the charlatan is our sympathetic main character, right, and it right. is it is Bergman's insert character as well, right? Uh, you know, Bergman is identifying with this main character and with, you know, ideologically beyond beyond the plot here. We're talking about the relationship of performer to audience. Right. That, that um, who was it? Who was the, um, the film critic that they, they interviewed? Oh, yes. Um, I can't remember his name. Um, so one of the bonus features is someone we've, we've heard from before, Peter Cowie. I mean, you get it anyway from watching the movie, but he does a really good job of sort of laying out the the the, the sort of main um, themes of the right. movie. And the main one being that, like, Bergman is talking about the, the relationship between the, the, the performer and the audience. Yeah. And how, like, and, and in many ways talking about how, like, I mean, it's, it was interesting to hear him talk about the idea that, like, Bergman didn't hate his audiences, but, like, had grown sort of distrustful of them or sort of, like... Um, didn't feel like they were participating in the art in the way they they sort yeah. of expected of them, right? Uh, sort of yeah. disappointed maybe in the audiences. Uh, and, you know, we do see a character going 
I mean, we see that happen live, right? Like his audience is actively hostile to him, right? Actively right. trying to undo what what everybody is supposed to know is a is a farce, right? It's like, a trick. Right. It's always been a trick. Like the idea, like that's always the weird thing about like it's one thing if you know there's a real fine line that exists in this sort of stuff, right? Where like most people doing this kind of stuff, that that fine line between a scam and like a trick that everybody is like deciding to go along with, right? It, it, yeah. Even in the modern world, right? Uh, and like theirs is very clearly like a performance, right? Like it's not really real. Yes, but there it is, is the also got the Barnum and Bailey sort of like also yeah. a trick, right? Like also right. scam, right? There, there is the implication of their problems in the past catching up to them, and what the uh, what the one woman wants from them that they have also done a for, sort of fake psychic thing. Going right, to, right, right, right. Uh, well, it's interesting, though, because they, they, you can see that they each have, each person in the audience has a different relationship to them, though, right? And it, it, right. like, for example, when they meet, like, I, I just actually sort of disagree with Peter Cowley's sort of analysis of the, the, of the maids, right? He, right. He's talking about, like, they're gullible. And it's like, no, no, no. That maid is not gullible at all. Yeah. She is... She wants looking to be for a way to have a good time with an excuse, yeah. and that's there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, and that's what they're yeah. feeding, right? They're a lot of times is, what they are looking for is to give people an excuse to like right. let loose a little bit, right? And he point he he points that out as true with uh, with the cook, right? Yes, but th- they who, both are like both of the maid, like the cook but, yeah, and the maid both. are both going through slightly different versions of the same thing, but it's the same experience of like oh, like so long as you guys are here. We can like yeah. kick off our you know kick off our heels a little bit and like have a bit of fun, right? Yeah, and that's that's BB Anderson, Sarah, the maid you're referencing, because yeah. there is the other, there is Sana, the yeah, other who maid, seems the to be maid, legitimately who? troubled by what's going on, but mainly I think because she's I, she's portrayed as being younger and maybe doesn't yes. understand the game yet, right? So she's right, right, and you know, Granny does a different thing with her, where which was mostly mostly just like you know she's even scammer for money she just like goes and like plays with like what her sort of like emotions about this are right and like yeah just goes has fun freaking her out well and like really. gets her to like plays around with the idea that like well she still kind of believes it and so it's the same way right. that you would like maybe give a kid a little bit of a scare but also kind of like give them a little bit of a taste of like magic quote unquote yeah. you know Ooh, yeah, it might but, be real but also the the movie does kind of imply that granny is actually a psychic uh well so uh, granny granny is the weird exception in the sense that the yeah. movie well because Bergman's playing with us as an audience too and right, Bergman right. doesn't ever want to like everybody else in this is a is some sort of fraud right granny is doing fraud yeah <laughs> but like also maybe like there's just the implication that granny is actually like maybe if if not psychic like way like sharper than anybody else in the in the group right like. And it, or at least understands well, like the way the principles by better understands the principles by which her work works in the sense that like as long as they believe yeah. it, it doesn't fucking matter what it actually There's, is. There is there is one explicit uh, prediction. Yes, Granny there makes is. Yeah, that's true. That does come true, and that is when she meet, first meets Antonson, she says that, she, and it's you know it's the same sort of jokey put put everyone on edge thing that she's doing with Sana. As far as we know, but she says that when she saw see him, she gets very serious. She says, I had a vision of uh, a body hanging in the barn, and that body was of a murderer. 
And then later, uh, Anderson, having accidentally believed that he has murdered, does hang himself. I mean, like, again, Bergman's playing around with us as the audience as well. But, like, you get into the idea of, like, well, self-fulfilling, like, prophecy, right? Like, she may have just pushed him over the edge anyway, right? Like, he may not, you know. But, like, either way, like, Bergman's having fun with us. She also has, like, a ton of money. Like, she's very, very good at whatever it is she does, right? You know, what she does is sell love potions that allow people to presumably like fortune telling and other you know she does like witch adjacent things right what she pulls out as uh tubal is trying to sell more love potion to everybody in the kitchen is stuff for colic is stuff for it's rat poison you know she's got other stuff on her that that are you know herbal medicines i mean yeah she's Uh, a she's like a an she's she is classic like woods witch kind of thing going on right? right like yeah what, yeah. what what's the matter? I can sell you the the, the fix for <laughs> right, that, or right? Yeah, and of course there's an element. There is an there is an element of scam too. Yeah, of to course, a lot of that. Uh, but she's successful in that. Um, yeah, you know, it's a fine line between. You know, it is entertainment for them to be doing what, uh, what Sarah's relationship is with them right. of of. Selling, selling an excuse to get a little wild for a night. Right, right, right. Uh, selling an actual remedy uh, to to a physical ailment or the death of a loved one does cross a line. Well, that that, but... that is true. Although, like the flip side of that being that, like at this point, the doctor in this movie also has about equal level of answers for any of those problems. Right, right, right. Like yes. her bubonic, her like colic fix might be as valid as whatever the fuck he's going to do yeah. in the late te- 1800s right like he could be he's just as much of a scam artist in yeah. his own way as and, as she is i mean who knows i mean like her colic medicine might work it's probably just like whiskey and something else right like yeah, right, stop right, me from right. coughing uh yeah. like i mean legitimately people have been helping with cough for a very very long time in this right, in this right, world right. right uh so some of her shit might actually kind of work um if it has some sort of like mild opiate in it or something like that. Uh, but like my point is, is that like to a certain extent, the people who have called her them in have violated the agreement that is associated with this activity. Right. Right. I mean, maybe they have to, I mean, if they are scamming, if they're like scamming, scamming, like doing legitimate harm to people or something, but we don't see that happening. Right. What we see is primarily, some of the people in the audience at the at the sort of the, at the in the upstairs are participating as expected. The right. wife of the policeman is doing is is participating in the way you participate in this activity. Right. right. I get to say whatever I want to say so long as pre- I'm sitting in the mesmer chair or whatever. Right. 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 And then get to pretend that I don't remember right. saying any of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That is the way the game works. What what you don't do is like hound the the magicians and like go like ruin their trick and like you know yes we know you cannot float people we're not right. fucking stupid but yes. also we don't need to prove that like we know you right. can't do it and right. like the doctor is like obsessed with the idea of proving that he can't like use animal magnetism to take over people's minds or whatever and it's like yeah dude we know yeah, yeah. like and the fact that you don't know is more of an indictment of you than it is of him Right, right, and that's that's obviously you know part of 
part of Bergman's point here is this obsession with with deconstructing exactly. the magic yeah. of the performance. Well, it's like the disappointment is, with the audience. Like the audience is not engaging in the way they are meant to engage with the magic, right? Like you're right. you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. You're not your your goal should not be to dissect the magician, which is which is what his stated his actual, goal which is, is his from the goal. moment exactly. They meet. Yes. And like uh, I get I'm what I'm confused about in the terms of just the actual plot of the movie is, uh, Oh, what's their name? I've lot Vergerus, like the, the couple, right? Is the, is that, no, mm-hmm. that's the minister of help. What is the name of the, of the couple, not the police couple, but the, the nobleman who invites and he has a wife that is like in love with, or like obsessed. Oh with yes. Gold that, Lord. yeah. What is their name? Uh, so the that's, name uh, that's Eggerman. Okay. Eggerman. Right. And his wife, yeah. right. Um, what is his, what? Oh, okay, Consul Eggerman and then uh, Otilia, right? I don't catch yes. people's names in these movies at all. Um, Bogler's yeah. the only one I got because they say it 800 times. Um, so, have they, like, I don't understand, like, she's kind of obsessed with him, but they've never, like, they never have actually met before, right? Right. This they, is a, I, she talks as like she met him in a dream or something, which is all just her like subconscious thing, right? Yeah, like it's nothing I, you know, there's nothing real there, right? This is there's a group of people who have uh obviously they know the, uh, this group has a reputation, right? Right. That's okay, why yeah. why the nobles are expecting them, why why they instigate this whole have them arrested and brought to our house ordeal. Thing. Uh, right but she's not actually ever met Vogel before she's just buying no. into her version of this right of this yeah. performance which is maybe a bit over the she's going a bit too right. far right she's violating right. in a different way and that she's buying in too hard into yeah. it right yeah and then yeah balance that against you know in the in her final scene she declares that she's never met him before because he has lost his disguise and right right and right looks different uh, and the illusion has been broken, right? Right, right, yes. Uh, there's a lot of very complicated relationships going on. And we had, you know, we've had Smiles of the Summer Night. We've had the, the Bourbon sex comedy, right? Right. And there's some of that going on here, yes, too. Yes, yeah. Uh, in in fun ways, in really fun ways. Uh, you know, but it's everybody, everybody who's buying into that sex comedy aspect of it, too, is someone who is buying into the illusion, yeah, is 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 will is right. willingly participating in it, right? Is is, yes. is 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 having the fun, right? Right. Uh, that they're all meant to be having. Um, yeah. You know, I. Uh, it's neither here or there. But one thing about the police superintendent and his wife that I found kind of interesting is that uh, the English subtitles uh, use uh, pronouns in their sentences. When it is very obvious that the spoken Swedish, she calls him, uh, she calls him Starbeck, and he calls himself Starbeck. Oh, uh, that's interesting. In the third person, uh, where it gets translated myself or or my husband or or him. Uh, Do you think or, that that is a is a is a writing thing or is that a quirk of Swedish? I I think it is probably. Uh, because languages is, are weird, right? Like, yeah. not every language engages with pronouns I in the will, same way, so I don't know. Right. 
I will say I didn't notice it from anyone else, okay. but I do believe Swedish has pronouns. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, so like lots of, I mean, to, every like most languages go, have pronouns, but I'm it's more of like go, how important they are aren't yeah. important in certain situations, right? My interpretation of it, knowing knowing almost nothing about Swedish, uh, and only going on the surface of the relationship here, my interpretation of it was that this is a miss by the translators because Starbeck and his relationship with his wife. Starbeck was meant to be much more uh, pompous. In right, I mean, right. he's already very pompous, yes. but just that yes. slight that slight exaggeration, one more step of pomposity to always refer to himself in the third person. Right, right, yeah, that makes then, sense, yeah. And then his wife also just calling him Starbeck is just funny. It's, well, it's <laughs> so. also sort of a mockery thing, right? Like yeah, it's sort of yeah. like, oh, the, the I'm going to always call the person who talks about himself in the third person yeah, like that, right? Like obviously inappropriate like not obviously right, but right. like obviously like very cool like distant relationship right yeah yeah uh and obviously you know what she airs during the mesmer right <laughs> right is uh she's got a lot going on so yeah well and, and, well and you get into that thing right like she's using it as a time to air air grievances slash sort of attack him right like yeah like even if not, even if only half of that is true, right? It's like a chance to like really like fuck with his head, right? Like right, you're right, gonna make right. him very uneasy for the ne- for the rest of this, like for a while, right? Maybe the rest right. of and, our relationship. Well, certainly makes him uneasy for the rest of the movie. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, in his, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, you know, his relationship and the the minister of health's relationship as uh, as trying to be uh, purveyors of of truth. Right. Logical. Right. Well, uh, purveyors of their truth. Right. Like that's the the important thing. And the movie does get along this line is the idea that like again, like the doctor, the medical examiner, never does anything to to like demonstrate his actual competence. Right. Like he's not like neither is the neither is the the cop either. Like you know what I mean? They're just just presumed competent based on title. Listen, the one uh, the one time we see him actually do something medical. He autopsies the wrong body without realizing it was the wrong right, body. Right, right. Well, we see two uh, things, right? He does <laughs> autopsies the wrong body without realizing, which is astounding. Uh, they do not look really anything alike. No, uh, no. Second, he, um, he does this weird, like, kind of fucked up, like, almost meant to be um, humiliating examination of him. Oh, yes, yes, yes. When he grabs thing. his throat. I and... mean, he's, if nothing else, we can say he's a highly unethical actor. <laughs> In terms of like being a doctor, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, probably par for the course in his his social class of the yeah. mid nineteenth century. But yeah, uh, yeah, where it's balanced against uh, Eggerman, who has obviously his wife has like fully bought in, but Eggerman is still he's the one of those three that is is betting that. Vogler's real, right? Right. I mean, he's uh, that. I mean, we 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 don't know in the sense that, like, yes, he is. He is. He is from a financial standpoint betting on that. But yeah. he's that, like, he's a stereotype, right? He's a trope in of himself. That, like, that mid nineteenth century, or or I don't know what exactly time this is meant to be set. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, I, but like that gentleman who like plays around with the mystic arts, but also like considers right. himself rational. Doesn't like the money is not an issue, so it's mostly just making bets for like the fun of right. finding out, right? Like, right. And and, and he, the thing that bites him in the ass is that like 
he does not, ex- I guess, anticipate that his wife is going to buy fully buy in and it's going to cause actual problems for him, right? right? He expects it to cause problems for other people, but not for him, right? He's right, he's right. beyond having those kinds of problems. Yeah, and and even as he, as far as the bet is concerned, is on Vogler's side. Uh, we don't know is, what his actual stance is, right? And he's he is mostly, just, well, we see him just as prone to humility Vogler at, at yes, absolutely. Turn, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, like, well, it's worth noting that no matter who of those three you're talking about, they these people are below them in class and station. Yes, and they're right. like, and are treated as such yeah. by those guys. Like, Which, no matter how you cut it, these are still right a lower yeah. class. Yeah, that class element in this movie is very interesting, uh, because it does get outright called out fairly early, and that's when when Sana first sees the uh the performers approaching right being brought in uh sarah reassures her that there's nothing to be fear uh, afraid of because she says they have no money you only need to fear the rich right yeah yeah uh, it's actually a really interesting line because the movie does engage with some of that stuff later on right like i mean actually the movie is pretty much about that quite a bit through it's a sort of an right. underlying theme but like you know they treat them like shit they're yeah. like, oh, no, you guys are eating in the kitchen, right? Which is very clearly like a, a right. class indicator, right? Uh, and then like even stuff like that immediate autopsy is like clearly a like a class indicator, right? Like they're going to like, oh, we're just going to chop your body up like the moment right. you die. Like the right. minute you're dead, your ass is going on the table. Like that is not a thing that happens to the the upper class yeah. Yeah. In, and again, in that society. And again, calling it an autopsy is really over. No, it's Obviously, just like that's, a dude that's wants them. to poke and prod, yeah. right? Right, right, yeah. It's not, there's there's nothing to discover about cause of death here. Right, right, uh, we all saw what happened. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it yeah. is merely a, a, affording some well-to-do rich person their, like, just their yeah. curiosities, right? Yeah. Um, I do love just after... After they put his body in the trunk that always already contains the other body, it's that, that when the three when the three guys go to lift it, they all fall. It's very yeah. they, well. They do it more than once. It's like, yeah. boy, you guys are dumb as shit. Like, yeah, just a wonderful little subtle bit of, of yeah. There's a, there's a lot of good jokes in this movie. Yeah, no, it's, that it's little bit of good, physical yeah. comedy really got me. <laughs> there's a lot of the, the the comedy that is in this movie is very very. It's mostly fairly subtle and, and not subtle in like what it's saying, but like subtle in the sense yeah. of like it's not, it's not, it's, it's a, not, this is not a comedy, quote unquote. Right, right. But it's a, it's a broad movie in, in every sense of that word. Right. So, you know, it's humor is broad, but, but everything it hits is broad. Um, yeah, it's not subtle at all. No, but, no, no, uh, no, no, no. It's, it's anything but subtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Cowie's, Cowie's, framing of this movie as sort of uh, Bergman's response to the audience he had at the theater he was running uh, is interesting mostly in that Cowie suggests that uh, that everyone in this movie like all of the nobles in this movie are are probably explicitly based on people um, though he segues pretty quickly from suggesting that to showing that these are names that pop up for these archetypal characters in right. in other I mean, Bergman film. It, it does sort of seem like Bergman has a has a an axe to grind with at least certain kinds of people he encountered right. a lot. Yeah. 
and what we know about Bergman's childhood, you know, there's a lot going on there too. Right, right. right. You know, he's he's met. He had this the stern religious father, the the mother who died fairly early on. Uh, there was that story that that we had from the Bergman Island episode about uh, how when he was very young, he was locked in a crypt. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so this obsession with death is is well, and you know the, the religiosity will do that anyway in and of itself, right? 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 Like, right. I mean, right. Like, yeah, he didn't didn't need that extra step, right? right. The extra step, I'm sure, makes it more intense. But I mean, you know, here again, he is obsessed with those kinds of ideas, right? We talk about death a lot right. in this movie. We talk about religion, and yeah. like we're at this time, we're more engaged with the idea of like older religions to a certain extent and their relationship with like yeah, know, well, uh, but time... still. Timeline wise, in his career, then that's sort of interesting uh, because this is 1958, right? Right. And uh, he just did in 57, we have the Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries, which right. are independently uh, looks at very much looks at death as well in right. in both in both their you know both those films. Uh, and he did have one other film in there, not something I'm familiar with. Uh, uh, called uh, "So Close to Life" that came out before this in 1958. Right, right. Um, and then he followed. You know, his very next movie after this was "The Virgin Spring," which is something very much about the relationship of Christianity to the traditional religions of Scandinavia, right? right? Um, and those two at odds. Um, so, so this one sort of in the middle there, playing with, uh. The old ways, the old religions, the old superstitions, and and very much uh, this Christian relationship to death within this movie too. And then we also have the nobleman, the police, uh, the minister of health, and and the constable who have moved beyond religion. Right. The right. Right. Laughs, yes. Yeah. 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 Laughs they are. At, uh, he laughs at the quaintness of believing in a god. Right. Well, the the fascinating thing about it is that like. That, that, you know, at least, you know, in, like, sort of many, like, tropes, right, that would be the, primarily be the nobleman who would be, like, sort of pushing that. But, like, it seems to be mostly the police officer, but also in, like, kind of a vulgar way, right? Like, he's very, like, he's not obviously not very, that all that well-educated, at least the way he's portrayed. But, like, he's bought into the idea that, like, it's his job to debunk things. Yeah. He's a buffoon, and all of his his entire force is, is a force of clowns, right? Right. Uh, the way they act, particularly at the end, but even when they're introduced and just running out and everyone jumping onto the car, right, uh, the right. carriage. Um, but he's a buffoon. He's got that insane wig that he's wearing. Yeah, I mean, he's, honestly, he's very, right? yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Berman does not shy in the way he, co- like, he, ca- like, codifies, like, you're like, yeah. you see that guy like, the first time, you're no like, well, one, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> no one has, no one has believable disguises in this movie, right? No, and no. that's, that's another thing, is everyone's willingness to just accept the disguise at face right, value, right, even right. as they're all very bad. But, but his is particularly comedic, right? Yeah, I mean, his, uh, the other ones are not played for comedy the way, like, right. the other ones are played for, like, Oh, we all get to be so shocked when they reveal what they really look <laughs> yes, like. Oh, yes. whereas like his is just like, oh, he, you believe that he believes he looks good that way. Like, like, like man, man, just disguised. Like the fact that anyone is relating to her as a as a man 
is just super right, surprising. Right, yeah. But then also, it is a wig. <laughs> like, like, yeah, when what, we get what, the reveal that she still has three foot long blonde I, hair. It's really fascinating. I, yeah. I really love it because it's like, oh, this is the worst way you could do this. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, you can just cut your hair short and like dye it black, and like it'll—that's a thing you can do. Yeah, uh, which but is obviously you're gonna wear like a ridiculous like, bald cap. Production-wise, pretty clearly what happened there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> you know. Because I don't actually lo- earnestly believe you could fit that inside of that, right? right like, right. Yeah. So there is a magic act in the movie, which is <laughs> her like... ability to fit all of her hair in that ball in that like wig. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the disguises, I legitimately, uh, you give famous blonde haired, blue eyed man, Max von Sydow, uh, black hair and a black chin strap beard. I don't recognize him. No, straight up. <laughs> it, no. Yeah. I, you know who he reminds me? Oh, what's his name? Now my, um, I mean, it's a class, it's also a trope, right? But like, um, yeah. Uh, something the guy who played the the bad guy in something wicked this way comes the uh, oh yes 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 it's the same look right it's the yeah. it's the like traveling carnival yeah but it's like I, that, I if you put him in the same room I'm not sure you could tell them yeah. part <laughs> I could at least that slightly slightly wicked slightly uh uh messianic sort of yeah I, look it's, it, that's yeah going there's on, something you know? very like well there's something like it's it is a it's a style right it's very um it's very uh, I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, I'm, I want to say, like, I'm gonna say engaging, but that's not what I mean. It's like very, like, it's it's enticing, right? It's got a, it's yeah. like, got a, like, yeah. it's like, it's a, it's dark, but like, and a little scary. No. Um, Jonathan Price, by the way, is the actor. Yeah, who thank you. The, the guy in. I knew it would bother you, so I'm it, it, say, I was but, typing it into yeah. my into my computer yeah. as we talked. But yeah, yeah, the. I don't. Obviously, the beard is fake. Obviously, the hair is dyed. Uh, um, the also well, it's not even the hair's not revealed, even yeah, dyed, right? Revealed to be a wig. Yes, yeah, also, also revealed wig. to be a wig. Though uh, Johan, when first encountering him, says, "Your hair is dyed black. Your hair and eyebrows are dyed black." Um, but but in universe, it's revealed to be a wig. Uh, but but honestly, it, it really does just change his look so much that even it's knowing, really shocking. It, it's it, it's amazing. It's a terrible disguise, but I still can't actually tell it to him. Right, right. So, well, that's, I mean, that's yeah. the main point. Yeah, you know it's all right. fake, but, like, when yeah. you look at him, I don't see Max von Sydow when I see right, right. that character. Yeah. You know, I see, yeah. I don't know who I see, but I don't see him. I mean, to be fair, and this is mostly me having a broken brain, yeah. uh, Manda doesn't look like Manda when, uh, yeah. I mean, she, it's obviously, like, a dis- it's obviously, like, fake but like they're i i wonder if to a certain extent bergman's also using some some makeup effects to make them look even more different oh yeah yeah so it's it's so oh these these people don't look anything like themselves they may not look real but they don't look like themselves Mm -hmm. when they are in disguise yeah yeah i think that's probably fair because i really Uh, feel like she has a different quality of makeup like uh is it ingrid thulin i don't know what else she's been in but like her face just looks different in the two different uh costumes which makes me think they must have done some makeup tricks to make it look really distinct. Um, yeah, quite possible. Um, she's a she's a, she was the older sister in Winter Light. Um, okay, um, I mean, and she's in the Silence as well. She's one of the right. sisters in the Silence, but we have seen her before. That's all. That's I, I mean, she but, did look 
once once she took off the disguise, she looked very familiar. But then right, again, like right. my my brain is so bad at people's faces. Like I don't know, my yeah, I'm not showed, a reliable source. She shows up a lot in Bergman. Um, were they? Is this? <laughs> no, they weren't. I was, I was, you were you were investigating whether this was a marriage. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like he was married to an Ingrid, but it wasn't it wasn't Thulin. Um, that doesn't rule out them having a relationship at some point because right. he also did that a lot. I mean, but, yes. Uh, I mean, was it yeah. one, two, three, four, <laughs> yes. five spouses? Yes, he was yeah. married. His, his his last wife was Ingrid von Rosen. Yes. Yes. Uh, I just I couldn't I knew he was married to an Ingrid but I couldn't remember which one or when so um, right. but it was it was not the one, um, but yeah 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 when she when she's revealed to have the long blonde hair she does look very much different and obviously <laughs> she's in right. she's in a she's in a woman in a women's underclothing at that point too right you know uh, right which I mean, is very weird, context is very important for for that yeah. kind of stuff right like yes right. I mean she yeah. and after that she proceeds to from that point on dress as dress as in sort of traditional women's outfits after that. So it's very yes. like, um, uh, yeah, they, they, they draw a real sharp line for her basically. Right. Once the, yeah. once sort of, once the jig is up for her, it's like, it's up and yeah. she just yeah. doesn't go back. Yeah. And part of the jig being up for her is admitting that they're all frauds and having sort of an emotional right. breakdown around that, around that too. You know, but you know what? I wondered about some of that stuff. If I'm being totally honest, because like we hear her and, and, um, Vogler, like uh, Albert, like discussing at, at bed, like at bed, uh, they're like, and some other times their relationship that they've had in other. I wonder if that's also part of the game, mm. because like she seems to have had this very similar experience with multiple people down the road, of where her. like when it's revealed, like that hers is supposed to be the one that everybody that she gets the unmasked. It seems to be part of the game. And then yeah. all the men are supposed to be like, oh, wow. Like, you know, because like she's, it, she's, they describe she's a string of like, she's yeah. unmasked as part of the game itself. Yeah. As part of it, as a distraction for their escape. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. it's part of the distraction for their escape, but also it seems to be part of like what makes it engaging, right? Like, right. She's who, this sounds really going to sound gross, but it is the game, right? Is like Vogler is the one who is supposed to be enticing and interesting for the, the, the women in the audience. Yeah. Broadly speaking, this mysterious mysterious man. Yeah. Yeah. And then she is the one that is supposed to be interesting and enticing for the men because she gets unmasked early and easily. Right. And then they all kind of like, Oh wow. She was that, 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 that handsome young man turns out to be this beautiful young woman, you know, is the the game for them. You get the impression that like, maybe that's all just part of the game. Right. And that, yeah. like, part of, like, her being confronted in her room is one of the ways that, like, she gets to, like, control the situation so that they don't, like, throw necessarily throw them in jail for too long. Yeah. Is that, like, the some man or another comes to her room and, like, oh, I could take you away from all this. And, like, oh, you know, and she admits to being a fraud. And they think they've got the upper hand that they know everything that's going on. And, like, right, right, now right. they feel powerful. And, like, it sort of reduces the tension of them feeling like they're being defrauded. You know what I mean? Like, it's a whole. Yeah. You and get the impression that her, this is something they've done multiple times. Yeah. Her admittance there is what leads the the whole group of them to, to tear the performance apart because the performance happens the next day. Right. Right. But morning. you get the impression that they were going to do that anyway. They were. 
they were, but now they have now they have sort of the open excuse to do it. Right, but I but my assumption is in the way the paradigm for them is supposed to work is that like that makes those men feel powerful. Right. And therefore like they have the upper hand and therefore less likely to be like even Punitive. more aggressive, right? When they <laughs> yeah. feel humiliated. Oh no, I knew it was a trick all along. Right, right. I don't have to feel humiliated and, and emasculated, so I'm not going to be as violent and dangerous as I could be. Yeah. It is It is interesting uh, in a gender politics thing here that it is all of the women are presented as buying into this in one way or another, either for fun or, or through strict belief, as is the case with, with Mrs. Ergman. Um, and all of the men of the audience universally even the even the men downstairs are antagonistic toward it right um, right right because the the men downstairs are uh are viewing <laughs> they're mostly just annoyed that this is like fucking they're, up their their right, spot right 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 yes they are they suddenly have competition for their right their space this, has been invaded the and they have competition and yes the men upstairs are a different <laughs> matter they they are they are aggressive. They are right. Like right. we are like antagonistic towards your your performance, primarily because I would assume because of again of sort of a gender politics thing, right? These these performers provide the women in their lives an outlet to like express themselves in ways they are not typically allowed to, and that is mm-hmm. scary, right? Right. That is a right. threatening situation, right? Yes. Yes. And you know the nature. The nature of the performance is also a threat to their power. Right, right. Broadly, but also their power over their women from their point of view. Right. So, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot going on here. Uh, Johan, we have a, we barely talked about. We've talked about Johan as a as a body so far, but not not as the character. Uh, he's just very very interesting to the way they stumble upon him in the woods, and he's just. You know, another performer, right? He's the drunken actor who had right. to quit acting because he couldn't couldn't stop drinking. Uh, he is also uh, the introduction. He's he's the mirror of Vogler, uh, not only in being the actor who's in too deep, but also they both die and get resurrected, seemingly right. in the course of this movie. Uh, which, yeah. You know what that's what those resurrections are doing are are interesting because for for Vogler the resurrection empowers him right right empowers empowers this revenge um, and you know it's also uh, part of Vogler's ability to die and come back is also further humiliation for. Vergerus, right? Right. Because he's right. the doctor who's who's declared him to be dead, right? Whereas, whereas with Johann's death, his first death, at least, it's just he sort of just passes out, and and all of the actors in the car, like, just like, yeah, he's like probably, oh man, now he's we probably dead, dude. Right. And then the police come out, and his body's just not there. Like no one's dealing with it. Like right. They, uh, I mean, they just chucked him gone. in a box, basically, right? Like, yeah, I don't but, know. Like... But that's the second time. The second time he dies, he gets chucked in the box. Right, Did they chuck him right. in the box the first time? I don't think I we don't see... I don't know where he was, yeah. I, I don't, don't think know. we see them do anything with but his like, body we're, the But, like, we're time. given the impression that the that Vogler and everybody also thinks he's dead. Yeah. 
which is yeah. fascinating because like right. what did because you the, where did you put him where did you put the dead yeah. guy because the other people the other people who see johan come back believe him to be some sort of spirit right right uh they're uh they're scared of him and you know he's obviously not because like the first thing he does is steal more booze so, right 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 <laughs> like, a ghost or or or, bourbon or a brandy or whatever it was. yeah yeah, yeah. It's very funny. Like that's a very funny section. A yeah, it's it's very good because he's obviously do you think not that's meant what to be ghosts a ghost. Do? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he just he he. Uh, it's just so good. Uh, he steals more alcohol. He's just delirious. Uh, Yeah, I mean he's a he's, but where, a, he's a fascinating but yeah, where, character, right? He's meant, he's like a sort of mirror on Vogler, right? Like he's yeah. But like not, it's an interesting mirror because like you would think that a mirror on Vogler would be like somebody who has bought into his own flim flam or whatever, right? No, no but it's like just, it's just a guy who like can't keep up the act anymore, right? Right, basically. Yeah, and and of course you know we're we're at the point where everyone in this group can't keep up the act anymore, right? right. That's. That's the breakdown over the course of this, and then, and then in the end, magically, some of them can keep up the act again, uh, and really is magical because like like the ending scene where the music is all parady all of a sudden, and the sun right. is out, and no one's wet anymore despite it ha- raining right, heavily rain. right before yeah. that. Uh, well, yeah. it's all and, it's all very fascinating, right? Because like you, I mean, I really do like I really do like the ending of this movie quite a bit. Yeah, it's because. Fun. I there is something you as an audience member, right? Because you've got your point of view characters are these these sort of struggling scam artists who are like barely able to keep things afloat anymore. Uh and then you get this ending where like, oh no, like this like the king wants to beat them because yeah. like the king is interested in their scam and presumably one hopes is 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 interested in engaging it as it's meant to be engaged and not right. But but well, we don't know for sure, right? Like we, the king could be pulling the same shit, right? Like the the guy who recommended them to the king of Sweden, presumably you know, from what from what Amanda had said earlier, uh, found them out, right? And she she sort of quelled it, and then they got out of town, and she wonders aloud whether or not he he might have actually still recommended them or not, right? Well, so that's the thing, right? Is that, like, you also get the impression, right, that, like, he does eventually relent, right, and, like, lets them out of jail, right? It's the same guy. Yeah. And, like, you one, one has to wonder if, like, this is one of those things where, like, given a little bit of breathing room on the actual van, like, a kind of, like, in hindsight, that was pretty fun or whatever. That yeah. was a pretty yeah. interesting experience. And then, like, he <laughs> ends up telling... The king, a, a fun little story of like, hey, you know, or, this thing happened to me the other day. And the king's like, well, I want to do that too, right? Or or even not that. Maybe right. maybe it's this thing happened to me. And wouldn't it be funny if I sent them to my right. buddy? Also, yes, also possible, right? And what if I and they did the, the same thing to him? Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Who's, who's, you know, they're all European royalty. He's his cousin or something, right? So, um, and, and bear in mind that, like, if that's the case, right, it's like using them as a pawn in their little game that, like, could still get them killed, right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a total disregard oh, for their still, safety or their, right. like, humanity. 100%. Right? right. Yeah. It's still it's still the class power play, and here it's, and it's still a game, right, between, right. between people of a higher yeah, class. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I also, you know, the the ending, the the police are even more comical, particularly with that music added to what they're doing. Uh, and then we, the little beat right at the end where the music stops as the carriages are pulling away and we get the sound of the lantern swinging and it swings like twice and then the music starts again. I just, it was, it, it again made me laugh. It's just right, a little right, thing right. that made me laugh because it's right. silly and I really liked it. They win in the end, right? They're redeemed. They're, they uh, they have uh a new partner in crime with Sarah. They've lost uh, Granny, which is their main source of income, but they are about to go perform for the king, so maybe that'll work out. And also, Granny wasn't exactly sharing her income with them, too, so there's that. Right, I mean, uh, you don't get the impression that, like, Granny, like, you get that sort of, like, oh, this troop is a sort of, like, a conglomeration of different people running their own scams. And, like, working together helps them each be able right. to do that but they're not like they're not income sharing yeah granny you know granny's, granny's this, got her own thing yeah granny's got the snake oil thing and tubal helps helps her with that and tubal sells you know he's the ringmaster selling everything but he's he's not the ringmaster in that he's not in charge right but he's right he's the he's the hype man for everybody right right he you know he so. in the show and stuff and yeah um, his his story is is fascinating because like his the way he ends up just sort of like I'm gonna settle down here is is really an, yeah. an interesting thing. I don't Yeah, but he, he settles down because uh Sophia tells him he could be a pastor and he thinks This is a good that's, scam. That's <laughs> yeah. the same thing I've been doing basically. Why not? I mean, and and well, she. I mean, she she even identifies it as the same thing he's been doing, right? Like right, that's the right. deal. Is like, yeah, she reveals sort of like opens yeah. his eyes to the fact that it's, like, hey, what you're doing is the same thing that the priests do. So yeah. like, it's a it's a no one's gonna throw you in jail for that. It's a cheap joke, but I did find funny in in presentation here when uh, when she tells him to get back in the bedroom and he's like again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, it is a cheap joke, but it, well, it's one that it, it's one of those ones that shows up in all kinds of like sort of sex oh, yeah, comedy yeah. things. But it right. it is always it's always a funny joke, right? Yeah. Like it's always yeah. he's yeah, met his match, and right, yeah, and this fact that you know she's she's the one who's mo- most overt about letting herself be scammed, right? Right, right. and this is you know it's I a, mean she's not a, even she doesn't even like let herself be scammed. She tells him straight up, "I know this is a scam, but I don't right. care." Right. Because that's not what I'm after anyway. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's sort of the relationship I have with these sort of sideshow things. And, right. and and even with, you know, people who, who talk to me on the street, you know, I, I I want to hear what they're selling. And I'll I'll reward them for selling me on it. Right. right. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, right? Because that, that's what makes it such a tricky thing, right? Is that, like, the people who know it's a scam and who are just playing along are presumably what like is the kind of like the is maybe the aim but like you can't ever assure that your audience knows they're being scammed so like it is also bad like you know what i mean like it's a weird you know and what we come down to is it's always sort of a problem of of class politic in the end right in the sense that like they're only having to sometimes let it be a scam because like that's the only way to make money right like right if they're not put in a position like this, then it can just be fun, only fun, right? Like it can just be pure fun if they don't 
have to also be able to support themselves doing it, right? Right. But right. like you have to let people be scammed. You know, if you're doing this, you have to let the ones who are actually being scammed be scammed, so that you have enough money to like keep going, right? It's a it's a complicated sort of class politics relationship, right? And and you know that that is the the nature of art in a capitalistic system, right? right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, beyond, you know, obviously, you know what they're doing isn't really doesn't raise to the standard of what one might be called art but but it's definitely but entertainment as, i mean but it like, is entertainment and, and as as the stand-ins for how bergman sees himself and his relationship to art they they are right, right. they are yeah. artists so so there's that uh you know and if nothing else they're scam artists right the word art is in there right too. well and i mean so. and there is a reason for that and like the yeah. the reality of the matter is is that like in a different society where the things function differently, it could just be art, right? Like they could right. just be doing art, but like because they they like one hundred percent have to make a enough money to yeah. live, they they can't ever let it just be sort of a pure like it's sort of pure form, right? Yeah, and you know for for the people who really can't afford it, they uh, they don't like gouge anybody right like right i mean like, like legitimately the like, driver yeah. yeah the driver and sarah split a bottle of the love potion apparently the last bottle of the love potion right and uh you know no one no money changes hands there right it's right yeah there, i mean there's there's also like of course reasons for that right like in the sense yeah. that like like oh i'm not going to charge a person that i actually want to spend time with right so right. there's also right. a sort of personal motivations but you also get the impression that like these things cost a very different amount of money depending on what your class station is. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. Um, well, it's kind of like Tokyo Twilight that we encountered, like, like for the bonus the other day with, like, oh, this service costs a radically different amount of money depending on who you are right, and right. what your station in life is. If you're the rich girl, it's uh, it's three grand, whereas everybody else, it's 200 Right. Exactly. I think where the actual prices. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it's like two, yeah. it's like two dollars or thirty dollars, but yeah. yeah. Right. Um, uh, you know, we briefly touched on Antonson. I do want to circle back to him because uh, his his relationship to the mesmerization is interesting. Because if he doesn't, you know, there's, there's also the aspect, like we see the policeman's wife buys into it as the excuse to sort of air things, right? Right. There is the aspect of, of how, how these sort of hypnotizing shows often work in reality uh in like a stage show instance is the peer pressure of allowing it to work right is, right, right is so great and that seems to be what he gets to be as far as the course of things goes like the whole the whole chain mime one okay if i were hypnotized into performing mime i'd be pretty mad at the end of it too uh that's <laughs> Right, you don't no want one, to walk around and cluck like a chicken. No one wants to be a mime. Uh, clucking like a chicken's fine. I expect that from from a hypnotist. No one wants to be hypnotized into doing mime. That's right. right. That's a, that's a that's a crime, an unforgivable a, crime. Well, one of the things you have to think about too is there's that that sort of the, there's a lot of psychology of it, right? Like, right. Yeah. Maybe he goes up there, he's like, ah, this is bullshit, and like kind of plays along, and then like he starts to sort of doubt himself, and then like it yeah. kind of becomes a sort of interplay right in his head and then before you know it he's like oh fuck like i'm freaking out now right like yeah yeah 
Like, yeah. And there, those social forces are very powerful to the fact that there is a moment where someone who's maybe not so bright or maybe someone who who actually is bright, maybe even, uh, does actually feel trapped. Right. right. And does does actually feel unchained. Uh, you know, and he reacts to that poorly, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and whether or not the movie wants us to actually believe that Vogler was dead in that moment is interesting. Uh, just, yeah. Because I really think we were, we were briefly at least, meant to fully believe that. Yeah, no, I, I think so. It, well, what's fascinating, like, I went through, you know, you, you as the audience, at least for me personally, I went through a, a complicated set of stages, right? Because at first I'm like, well, there was no way that was long enough to kill him. Right. And they're like, he's dead. I'm like, Okay, well, yeah, I guess probably he's dead, right? Like, and then you see the them do the 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 coffin, the the box gag, and you're yeah. like, he's not dead. There's yeah, two bodies right. in that. Co-. Like, you go through yeah. a really complicated sweep of uh, like thoughts in a very short period of time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, as we already mentioned, ultimately that whole sequence is added to Vergarissa's uh, comeuppance and and right, right foolishness you know and then everybody gets made a fool when the king actually invites them in right you know because right the king's the king's not inviting the rest of these guys in his peers as right as yeah they're not they invited. Think, that that right? that cop ain't going anywhere yeah well he does get to take them <laughs> i mean i guess probably wait but, outside yeah. like he ain't but getting yes. to go inside right 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 but uh nobody wants to hang out with that moron but yeah, I don't even I think the people he's with want to hang out with him. They don't right, even like right. him. Obviously not. He's, his he's wife, universally his wife loathed. Doesn't, right? It's that wig. Everybody hates that wig. Well, I mean, he's annoying, what you, right? Like what are you he's, to he do? like is yeah. is he's un he is. There's probably an extra bit of like dynamics there that like we're supposed to be like paying attention to, which is the fact that like he's at that station, not be like he gets to be considered equivalent to the sort of peerage or whatever because of his station in. The society, but he is not a like nobleman, right? Like right. that's he right. is he's he in his own way is as an upstart and like is uncouth, right? He he drinks too much, yells, he he right. and and considers himself very, you know, has is kind of above his station, sort of thing, right? Yeah, and that sort of clearly pisses off the others, right? Right. I apologize. It got a little away from me. But the reason I didn't want to circle back to Ant- Antonson oh, okay. wasn't just to make a joke about wine, about mime. Uh, it was also that uh, that the way both he and the policeman's wife react to the show, the way Sarah and Sophia react to the show, the way Sana reacts to the show, too. It's just the entire gamut of ways to react to a live right. performance yeah. like this. Uh, and I'm just super impressed that that Bergman is taking the time to show us that he understands all the different types of audience member. Right, right. right. Well, and, um, and and you know, and considering, and like that just goes to to talk about like what his primary goal here is, right? Like he yeah. wants to talk about audiences and the audience's right. relationship to the the performance, right? Right. And so he's not going to do just one. He's going to like try to cover literally every case, right? Yeah. Yeah, and he he manages to do it most yeah. of the way. I least. mean, it's a. I mean, it's really like. I mean, this is a. It's not exactly like when I in my mind's eye what I expect from a Bergman film. It has some elements of that that I like. You know. Yeah. That I have internalized. Well. 
I say if if we had never seen something like Smiles of the Summer Night, right. you know, and and had already had a little bit of exposure to, and and this is true of the Magic Flute too, but exposure to Bergman as as comedian, right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. It, it's really just sort of like you, it's like yeah. first impressions, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the stereotypical Bergman is obviously not this, right? right? Exactly, but like I really. Well, there's a, there's even a certain sort of like if you like pay attention to the way they're like even like the makeup in this is being done, it's very thick, mm-hmm. it's very stage like. Yes, this isn't like his first production after he left the stage or something. Like he's you know, it's just like he's kind of invested in the idea of like really laying on the idea that this is performance, right? Like I don't remember when he was working at the theater, but like I was the theater. Like in the middle of his film career, or was it like? Yeah, I, was, I, I, I had feel like following was, that a little bit. I feel like from from Coey's description of it, it's if you don't know the the release dates of all of his movies, it's a little hard to follow. Right, right. Um, well, that was kind of my problem. I was like listening, and I was like, I didn't have the Wikipedia open to try to follow along. I was like, I right, don't remember right. like his like personal history. Yeah, I I believe. That he was he was doing the theater work concurrently to making movies, and in fact, okay, I think forty six to forty nine, he was making he was in the Gothenburg's theater, which is the one that uh, Kyle's talking mentions. about. Yeah. Okay. Well then, well then, I, I guess the I answer to go is back no. and look at his, his uh, film because his his first movies start. I mean, at least his famous work is after forty nine. Well, uh, it his, looks like he was doing based on a play, based on but it looks like he was, yeah. and like. Yeah, I just found some of those discussions a little complicated to follow, but like it seems like it was coincided, but it looks like after that he gets way more way, way more into film, right? Like it becomes more yeah. it becomes more of a film director than a theater director. But like huh. But he also was at the Malmo City Theater, which they talked about but wasn't the one he was talking about. So I guess like for Bergman you just he just did both basically for a long time, right? Right. But my, my the point I was trying to get across, and we've seen this with Bergman before, is that like Bergman, and some of this has to do with it being a black and white film, and I get all that. But like the makeup is very stage makeupy mm-hmm. a lot of times in this, like not for everybody, but especially our our um, sort of lead characters are kind of done in a way that like sort of exaggerated makeup, exaggerated like sort of like. Um, costumes in the sense that like you get the imperial like oh we're also supposed to read them as sort of like stage actor adjacent right like even from the onset right because like, anytime you get anywhere close like you can see the makeup like you can actually like f- see it see it which is like not the thing right like Berman does plenty of black and white films where you can't see the makeup yeah um so did you get to watch uh the uh the video of Bergman talking about the film. I did. I did. I yeah. I I did my best to follow it because it didn't seem yeah. like when I was <laughs> listening to it, it was a little hard to follow because like it didn't seem like it was necessarily a hundred percent about this film. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. The video one of Bergman on the on the magician. There is the audio interview that has a that's what I that's what it, I watched, but, which is a little hard to follow. Oh, well, you talking other, about that short three minute one? I never. Yeah. I didn't watch it because it was so short. Yeah. I was like, uh, I want to go to bed instead. He essentially only <laughs> answers two questions in it, um, okay. which, given the time, uh, that's yeah, why I minutes. asked because because they are. It's interesting because the first question is about the interpretation of this movie, and he dodges that question. And says that it would be tact- 
tactless to comment on the film's meaning because it would undermine both the audience and the media and what what they have already put out as right. interpretation of the film. I I uh, like this version of Death of the Author where the author says, yeah. no, fuck off, yeah. you figure it yeah, out. Like, nice. I'm not going to be involved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other question he answers is, is as follow-up to that, a question about the relationship between the artist and the audience. And he... Uh, tells a parable about a okay. Chinese woodworker in response okay. in, to answer that question. Uh, I'll make I'll, I'll do the the quick version of it. Is that uh, the woodworker is hired to make a uh, bell stand for a temple, and at first he sets down to make it, and he's thinking about how much money he's going to make from it, and the final product's terrible, so he scraps that and and. Uh, starts over and he starts thinking on the second attempt, he starts thinking about how how uh, famous he's going to be and how everyone's going to love him uh, for making it. And, and that distracts him from the work as well. And he makes a terrible bell stand. So he starts over a third time and he starts thinking about how this bell stand is going to be in the temple forever. And he's going to be he's going to reach immortality through the production of this work. And also those thoughts have distracted him and he makes a bad bell stand. So he starts over the fourth time, and that time he just thinks about making a bell stand, and he makes a good bell stand. Uh, and that's, you know, that's Bergman answering the relationship between artist and the audience is don't think about the audience. Just right, think right, about right. the work, right? Which is, you know, uh, that's not news about Bergman, right? right. That's, that's ideas we've encountered. But just the fact that he answers that question with, with with a parable that's like two minutes two minutes of a three minute of a clip. three minute interview yeah yeah, yeah. uh this is very silly uh so yeah i mean just generally i like bergman i don't especially like his relationship to women throughout his life we talked about no, that in no. bergman island but uh but he's he's an interesting character and and yeah um, and i i have generally if i as, as sort of broad terms find bergman's movies to be like I don't know how to like categorize this exactly, but like some of the people that like I don't exactly love their their the way they behave through their lives also make movies that make me uncomfortable about like yeah. but like yeah. generally speaking, Bergman's films are like always Less interesting of, to watch. Right, right. Bergman's, and don't feel so don't necessarily feel skeezy or anything yeah. like that all the time. Bergman less often uh puts his relationship to women uh into his movies outside of his his uh, desire <laughs> for mother, mar- yeah, his yeah. desire for motherly love is yes, is certainly yeah. something that shows up in in his movies. But right, uh, but yeah, I just you know it's it's weird because this movie is there are dour things that happen in this movie. We talked already about about the the sequence that is a horror pastiche so much, right. but we're we're already in on it, right? Um, but also just Siddell's makeup in general. And and his whole thing here, pretending to be a mute, uh, and and being a guy who is afraid he's about to be arrested forever, uh, he gets to do all this dour, stereotypical Bergman thing, but also he just looks ridiculous, right? Well, right. <laughs> so, it's like it's it's doing that that Bergman that sort of dour Bergman thing in in a like an environment yeah. where we all know it's a game, yeah, like like. Like where we're all like where the audience is sort of yeah. in on it, and like it's not like we're never supposed to take it 
a hundred percent at face value. And as 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 Johan tells us when he first meets our doctor, uh the makeup is ridiculous. We know it's ridiculous. It's meant to be ridiculous in universe, and he's—it's essentially a kid dressed as a Molgoth. You know, it's just... right. Well, and, and that's what makes the sort of um, uh, what's his name? I forgot it, right? Vergaras or whatever the the yeah. doctor so patently ridiculous, right? Is that like right. he's taking something that like even we as the audience can't possibly take seriously, right? And other people in universe know not to take it seriously. Right. And it's like you're supposed to be like the and it's just fascinating because like in many ways it's like a sort of engagement of the idea that like, oh yeah, like this like upper class are just fundamentally yeah. ridiculous well, fucking people. I mean it's it's like someone trying to debunk a Marvel movie. Right. Right, right, yeah, like, yeah. Let's, I let's, mean unfortunately why would you we think live that in was, that world, yeah, Adam. Right, but like right, we do. We, do. Like, we but, live in that but, nightmare, but yeah. Why would that be the relationship you have to this? Um, right, like any yeah. I mean, and I, like, I don't think Marvel movies are uh, are should be uh, uh, immune from. No, uh, but I think what we've we've from, just identified is that Bergman or, has yeah. is talking about in some ways talking about a thing that we identify now as like a modern like internet media like um, media literacy problem that is ain't is very old, right? Right, right. And yes. It's like that. The, Bergman is basically making fun of cinema sins. Or something right. yeah. akin to that in 1958, which is like, yeah. you know, yeah, there's some people who don't understand that this is for fun. <laughs> yes. And it, like you, yes, there's lots of comments you could make about the quality or the, or, you know, on the uh, sort of content and the value of that content. Right. But like going through and trying to identify all the flaws in the performer's performance is a stupid right. way to engage with art. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like I'm gonna prove that that, that Iron Man isn't Iron Man and or whatever. It's like yeah. you're you don't understand what you're doing here, do you? Yeah, uh, yeah. To that end, maybe it's more like uh, more like the conversations about around CGI in modern movies, right? And and you know, and you do that still to come back to Marvel. Uh, you can see it in talking about Iron Man's suit often, and you'll say, "Oh yeah, uh, yeah. well, like, the that suit was practical." The, it's like, no, it was never yeah, practical, man. Yeah. Right, Sorry. right. The suit in the first movie looks so realistic because they were still doing practically. It's like they they stopped no. doing it practically after the first time he put on the suit. And he's like, I can't act in this. What are you yeah, doing? <laughs> I mean, it's well, but like, yeah, it's, I I just come back to that sort of that yeah. like we need to engage with film or any art in a way where we're we're not focused on what it's trying to say and more focused on like outsmarting it. Yeah, or proving ourselves exactly. to be right. smarter than and it. like all of these, the aristocrat, like the upper sort of echelon in this film, are all victims of deciding that they're going to outsmart the art, right? And then, and thereby, and by doing so, are not engaging with it on the terms that the art is meant to be engaged with, which is yeah. like entertainment in this situation, right? Yeah, and and that's <laughs> that's interesting because you know Bergman. Stereotypical Bergman, certainly, but but Bergman by and large, period. Even even here, Bergman is someone who demands an intellectual relationship, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, by nature of what he's doing, right? Even but he demands an intellectual relationship about like the topics and the themes, not an intellectual <laughs> right. relationship about like how, like whether or not you had a goof in it, right? Pulling the pulling the curtain back, 
And and the driver's response to seeing that he's uncovered, just being to drop it, is <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I mean, it's very good. <laughs> the, 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 that that entire sort of comedic scene is quite funny. And then like, Tuvo's like need to just keep the show moving, so just like moves yes. on to the next act as though that yes. just didn't just happen. Yes, yes. Uh yeah. No. Uh, again, you know, it's a it's a great comedy, and and we don't need to recount every joke that no, was amazing. No, but that is, but is a very good. There's scene. a lot of really good humor in this movie. Yeah, it's just fun. It's just it's just a very it fun. I, movie. I enjoyed it a lot. I yeah. I was I I. It is it is very telling that this movie did, despite even the problems I had with the streaming service, did not feel like an hour and forty minutes long. Right, it felt right, very. Right. It, it moved along. I was like engaged the entire time. Uh, despite the fact that I had to restart the show, mm, I don't know, 25 times. Yeah. It still didn't feel that long. So, uh, I also had to restart it once because I, uh, uh, around the time of, I think, their first performance. I did, I did a little bit before that when, uh, when, when the doctor comes to visit Manda in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized i had just woken up uh so i, I had to i had to bounce back and, and like i'm not gonna be able I, to pay attention as well yeah i stretched i stretched this movie into into a, a couple like about three hours of, yeah, of watching mean, because i rewatched a whole hour of it right just right, to make yeah. sure i'd make just to make sure i actually watched it, the movie right? and like paid yeah. attention yeah for me it was just like i mean criterion channel hates me this yes. is pretty pretty well established uh, it really hated me on this one, uh, but even then, like the movie's got a really is really well paced, so you don't ever feel like it's never right. a slog at all. I, I'm really impressed. Like it, it covers a lot of pretty sophisticated themes in a really lighthearted way that right. like moves. Like it, it's it's really good. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to to really understand <laughs> why why we're hammering home on how fast it is and and how how quickly paced. Uh, just remember that last week we did watch uh, <laughs> The Thin Red Line, which is a very long movie. Yes, it's um, very so. long. Well, and also, like, you know, I mean, to a certain extent, like, I understand that, like, we've we've watched a whole wide variety of Bergman. Right. But, you know, I mean, Bergman, some of Bergman's more serious stuff doesn't move because it wants to spend a lot of time on right. ideas. Right. And, and so wants you to spend the time with it, whereas this one is, is not paced in the same way that some of those are and is right. more because of those lighthearted elements feels yeah. faster and, and yeah. isn't well, asking you to spend quite as much time thinking as you would in some of the other ones yeah but at the at the also at the same time it's sort of a trial by fire whereas in a normal Bergman we spend a lot of time with a single relationship right right, right. here here we've got and, and this is true of other Bergman comedies too we've got a lot of relationships we've got a huge ensemble cast and everyone's going through a variation on the emotional right, journey right that that we were supposed to be understanding this time uh so you know it, it happens it happens quicker but it right. happens and we here as the and audience here have a lot of work here. to do right, right. yeah like yeah. it keeps us very engaged right i think we could probably pull this one no close. I'm, it's a bit I'm of a short episode but it's, yeah it's uh it's been a fun movie to talk about uh next week we're going to swing back to another uh well, it's not a long movie, but it is another war movie uh, with uh, Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory. Hopefully we'll have a guest for that. So uh, looking forward to it. I've never seen Paths of Glory. And I have I realized not recently, either. I've really not seen a lot of Kubrick. Uh, yeah, me neither. I, I, mean, I went and looked not, at the Kubrick like um, yeah. like filmography. Oh, wow. I've only seen yeah. like 
for, two of these movies or for, three of these movies. For a guy who ultimately didn't make a lot of movies, I, I'm pretty low on percentage-wise still. Right, right. So, uh, but yeah, do look forward to seeing Paths of Glory. This week we've been talking about The Magician from 1958, directed by Ingmar Bergman. Uh, and yeah, super fun. Super glad to have seen it. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Criterion. I'm, as always, Liam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Tari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. This has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.